You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right. I bet you cannot finish this episode in one whole sitting. To up that even more, I bet you can't finish this episode and tell someone about it. Yeah. <laughs> this is Abraham. And Ryan O. And so today we are talking about reverse psychology. Bum, bum, bum. So maybe we even tricked you into uh, committing to something you don't want to commit to, and now I ruined it. Maybe we made a really cool clickbait title for this, too. Maybe we did. We don't know, since we're so far in the future. That's right. <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, well, like I said, we're talking about reverse psychology today. I got really interested in this because people talk about uh, how they use reverse psychology, and this shows up a lot in sort of pop culture, and it just sort of occurred to me, like, we really need to ta- tackle this. It's just, it's so pervasive, and people use it all the time, and it's really, as we'll talk about, kind of a misnomer. Um, the, the name is a little confusing in terms of what it sort of is, and so we're just going to break it down. Cool. So we're going to start, and kind of what's this mean in, like, the day-to-day usage of the term, right? Yeah, where does this come from? There's kind of two ways to look at it. I mean, we can talk about it as like advocating for the opposite outcome that we really desire or right. suggesting the opposite outcome that we desire. Okay. Um, so I have an example to kind of like bring that home. So let's say a parent says to a child, they're like, they're, they're playing inside or playing video games inside. And they're like, you really should stay inside. Don't go outside today. And then the kid's like, well, what? I, should, I go outside. I want to go outside. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I had a, a, yeah. So that's one way. Now, another example I was trying to think of, uh, uh, different things we might all be able to relate to. Um, and when searching through a lot of the kind of pop psych references, a lot of it was written in the context of like dating articles and those sort of things. And relationships and whatnot. Yeah. yeah so totally. yeah, you, you meet a lady or a, or a guy at the bar, let's say, and you see them across the way, kind of looking at you, you pass through the dance floor, maybe like by them, make eye contact when said, uh, of like stopping to dance, you just pass by and kind of like go to the friends at the end of the bar or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're both acting like partially disinterested, uh, or maybe that you're like into someone else. Um, and it could be kind of perceived as like this, like challenge that you're issuing. Right? Yeah. Which is what we did at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. The challenge. Yeah. So that's like another example of like when these things can happen. Another one in a similar way is that whole idea that maybe you meet someone and you really want to text them, but instead you with, you withhold and, uh, you're like, maybe wait a few days, three days till you call or text or something like that. But, and so you, you're able to sort of refrain. Um, but if, uh, this person, we're speaking from male point of view, I guess, or it's straight male, I don't know, whoever <laughs> it is, just for the example, it's not really important person that you're interested in, maybe they hit you up first. And, uh, as you're going back and forth about the date, you sort of make sure it's, it's clear that you aren't really already, you're not really available yet to make like a committed date or yeah, a committed that's what, plan, right? Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Um, and the goal there is like, they're just like desiring you more, right? Yeah. yeah. So just dang, dangling the carrot as they say. <laughs> and then yeah. I've actually also seen in these dating relationships as sort of fishing. So you might come at it as like, oh, my hair is so ugly today. And you're really just trying to get them to compliment like, oh no, your hair looks beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're saying something that's the opposite of the intended effect. Cause you know, you could say like, man, I, I just look like crabs today. And they're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah. I can, I can fall subject, subject to that one sometimes, um, where I right. can be like, oh man, I'm really tired. And it's just more kind of like, what'd you do last night is what I'm looking for. Like, right. So I can talk about like what I've been up to. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. 
Cool. Now there's one other business world kind of example. So when it comes like sales or negotiating, let's, I want to kind of like paint a picture. So you're, you're pitching to a client um, and you ask them like, where do you stand on a one to 10? Like, where are we at right now? Mm-hmm. And they say a six to seven. What are people likely to do? I think an old school mentality is you're like, you're trying to get them over to that like eight or nine or 10 and like really lock in that sale. Like get them really interested in what you're doing. So right? you're saying like how interested they are on a scale of one to 10? Yep, exactly. Okay. And they're like, I'm a six or a seven. Yeah. So like your tactics uh, could be like, okay, like how do I get you to that eight, nine or 10? Whether you explicitly ask that or you like throw some sort of technique at them to Ooh. try to get them over that, right? Yeah. But if you want to kind of employ this like reverse psychology technique, the person, you know, that was pitching that sale can come back saying like, wow, that's really interesting. I thought you were more in like a three to four range because your body language, like kind of how you're talking to me was kind of indicating that you like might not be like that into it. Right. Um, and the goal there is that the client actually says, you know what, I'm actually like, I'm actually really into this. I might actually be more like a, an eight or a nine. Like, yeah. I'm feeling really confident about this. So the whole, part, part, uh, the whole point there of the salesperson pitching the, oh, I thought you were a three to four makes it then seem like, oh, you're way more interested than I thought you were. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. But targeting them at the three to four range is the opposite of where you want them to be. And so you're sort of trying to create that, that context where, um, you're trying to get them to do something in particular. Yeah. So to kind of like bring all these examples together, um, whether it's, you know, the child outside, uh, the person at the bar or the client, the expectation is that the approach, uh, this this reverse psychology approach will encourage that subject or the person that you're trying to persuade yeah. to do what actually is desired. By but doing that's the... doing the opposite right. of what's actually suggested. Awesome. Right? Okay. <laughs> and so another way to conceptualize this or to sort of tie this into other ways that we approach this is that the way that we sort of think and talk to ourselves and, and uh, rationalize or, or like reason through logic to ourselves um, can actually sort of provide a, a context in which we are already using reverse psychology or in this way. We're using this on ourselves. And that um, we avoid the consequences of some responsibility by sort of talking ourselves out of it. And so let me give you an example of what I mean because it's, it's a little bit complicated in here. Um, but if I say, for example... If I complain about I'm so in debt, like I really need to take care of my debt, um, I'm I'm so I'm really I don't know I just it sucks I hate this. It's, by spending time thinking about it and complaining about it, I can sort of create the situation where I feel like I've addressed it and I've taken care of it just because I've I've complained about it and I've made excuses about why I can't do it. Okay, and that has the reverse effect of now I'm not going to do very much about it because I've already complained about it. Like I'm good. I met my quota of complaining for the day. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, so instead, if you sort of say, I, I, I accept it, I embraced my debt, I actually am maybe more likely now to feel empowered to do something about it because I've eliminated that excuse. Um, I've eliminated that uh, cycle of reverse psychology that's going on. And so I'm now more likely to take some kind of action toward it. Um, because I've done the opposite of what I was doing before. Okay, cool. That actually reminds me of something that I came across when I was like looking around on the internet for anything related to reverse psychology. Yeah. And that was this thing called the paradoxical intervention. Paradoxical. So paradox is when things that sort of overlap don't make sense in the way that they work together. So it's paradoxical, right? So yeah. it's, um, th- it doesn't work. It's it's a impossible relation or maybe not impossible, but in, unreasonable that those two things would go together. 
Yeah. And so like, is that okay? Like, does that kind of relate like to what you were describing? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. So what they say is a paradoxical intervention is one that involves like prescribing the very symptom that the client wants to resolve. So like, this isn't like a classical like therapist and kind of talk situation where they just be like, well, why don't you do that thing? So you're always talking about like, I don't like to procrastinate. Just plan in some time to procrastinate every day. Mm -hmm. And it got me, got me thinking of actually an area of like behavioral psychology, um, acceptance and commitment therapy. And it like kind of drew some parallels to that. Okay. So I think this paradoxical intervention, um, has some validity and what they essentially did is, uh, I'll link it in the, the source notes, but psychology today kind of broke down some intervention techniques around this paradoxical, paradoxical intervention and they kind of ended it on like it, there's something here it, it works but we need a really well-trained person to mm-hmm. kind of like pull this off so there's various companies that do these sort of things the one that i'm most familiar familiar with is this acceptance and commitment therapy model and i think it provides some more tools so just real quickly to cover that like what they kind of try to do is they look at it as like this language base like you were talking about like language does these sort of things and is kind of our tool for talking about uh, why this paradox can actually like create this behavior change. Okay. So what they do is they try to show like the typical change strategies of if if I just focus on it and I try to control the situation, it's going to work. They mm-hmm. try to show like, hey, that's not actually working all the time, yeah. right? And the fact that it's not working, this like deliberate control over the world, like that's an okay thing. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, we need to first recognize it. And that's what you were kind of describing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, through your example? Yeah. Okay. But then from there, like, showing that this acceptance model um, of just like, hey, this is here, it's something I'm going to have to interact with, is kind of an alternative solution. And then they can bring that back into your values and such. So if I can bring this together and maybe do a little bit of justice. Yeah, so there's a lot of... uh sort of general statements in there. So I was going to ask you for an example. Yeah. Let's, let's, I guess let's apply this to your example. Okay. So what was the paradox in yours? So it was that if I like embrace and accept my debt for what it is, rather than just complain about it and talk about how I need to do something about it, then now I'm saying, okay, this, this is something I'm, this is part of my situation. I I'm choosing this. I accept it for what it is. Uh, I now immediately felt more empowered to actually take action on it and start making payments and start saving money and like arrange to deal with it in a, in a more reasonable way. Yeah. Now, like, was that kind of like easy for you or was it kind of like, I mean, how'd you get about that? Did you just like decide it? Um, I mean, it was part of an activity I was doing where there was just take some challenging aspect of your life, something that you you know, life throws these circumstances at you. You often don't get to really choose what the circumstances are. Uh And so, um, it's easy to fall into the trap of just complain, 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 and try and avoid it and escape it. And, or else if you can't avoid it, escape it or do something about it and you just complain about it, um, the strategy they were really recommending was like, embrace it, take it on. It's, it's yours. Like, uh, instead of trying to say like, this is thrown at me, I have no control. I don't want this. Take it on as like, I am, this is, this is mine. I own it. Yes. All right. Yeah. So if we took your example, uh, I think there's a a kind of an order of procedures. I'm going to kind of paraphrase these sort of things from that acceptance commitment therapy model. Okay. Um, but what it is, is like, 
this change agenda just like isn't working. So trying to control the situation or kind of stressing about or pushing off this debt might, might just, it doesn't really get you anywhere, right? All right, so step one, this isn't working. Yes. Okay. Step two would be like, hey, language is kind of like the root cause of why that's happening. Or it's at least right? getting in the way. It's not helping me. <laughs> yes, it's definitely not helping. Um, from there, like that's kind of that paradoxical part of like, uh, or like this like weird part of like, uh, my language is how I talk about it, but like it's also the root issue, mm-hmm. right? Is that kind of like, am I right there? I mean, yeah, I think just saying, so step one, my strategy isn't working. Step two, it's not working because my language about it is not working. Uh-huh. So then the idea there is like, what do we do next? Well, this kind of like mindfulness and like acceptance com- component kind of comes in mm-hmm. and that's all over the place right now, right? Yeah. Um, but you described a, a part of that, right? Yeah. So you're just kind of accepting like, this is where I'm at, but then that leaves the question of like, where do I go next? So what they do is they bring in values and goals. And the idea is like values are these things that you care about and you want to move towards. So okay. it's like a debt-free life. Okay. Or a goal would be much more explicit to where you can actually have like a dollar amount tied to a time and you can kind of work towards those sort of things. Okay. So what they've done is they, there's this kind of these stages uh, that the, the clinician tries to go through. And this acceptance and commitment third model actually has those things kind of listed out more. Now there's a lot of work to do in those areas, right? It's, it's relatively new. Um, but this paradoxical intervention, like they didn't really have those sort of things outlined at all. They didn't uh, have these steps. And I always think those steps are really useful for someone. So step three, I think just to summarize then would be the, the owning it. Like yes. yeah, taking it on, this is, um, I'm owning it. I accept that these are my circumstances and I'm going to, you know, freely choose this as, uh, as what I now am taking on as part of my life. Yes. Perfect. And I think, so they, they have a lot of examples of you challenge people in certain ways and that we actually do this at some of where I work. Um, so we have uh, students who are sometimes really afraid of failure. So we have them specifically practice making mistakes and yeah. failing at things. How's that work? Really well, okay. actually. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to see them. And they start to like have a lot of fun with it. And they aren't so stuck in the, I have to be right all the time because they're so specifically practicing being wrong. It's actually really fun to do that. Um, other ones I've seen of like telling people, okay, you, you don't, there's this thing that you don't want to do. Like you don't want to do your dishes and like, okay, well then you're not allowed to do dishes anymore. Yeah. Um, and so those are some, some of these strategies that are sort of tied into this. This comes back to another idea that you've probably heard a million times of like, okay, so I'm going to tell you something right now. And, uh, you as the listener, this is my specific command to you. Okay. Okay. And to you, (laughs) Ryan, Ryan, do not think about a purple elephant. Purple elephant. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yeah, so as soon as I've created this thing, this purple elephant, like even if you're immediately like able to push it out of your head, the first thing that happened was you'd be like, I got purple elephant. And part of it is you had to understand what I say in order to try and follow my direction and to understand it, you had to think about a purple elephant. So there was just no way around it. It's just yeah. part of that experience. Yeah, it's like part of, it's listening. Like it's kind of part of the listening experience, right? Right. And so once it's there, then now it's like, well, now I have to deal with this. And it reminds me of something I came across, which is uh, things, things like that paradoxical intervention sometimes suggests that there's like this quote, uh, natural human response, end quote. Yeah. Um, and that it, or to do the opposite. It's this natural human response to do the opposite. And I don't think your example there, right? I think we agree there on the purple elephant isn't like someone deliberately trying to do the opposite. It's right. It's like listening thing or understanding thing. I don't think that's like 
part of this reverse psychology. Right? No, no. Um, I mean, I think you could tie it in and just to say that. Well, it happens, but it's not like the root of reverse psychology. No, no. I think it's it, it's related in this idea that once you've created the context for a particular type of action to occur, um, then it it's just going to occur. Yeah. <laughs> so I had some questions for you, like if that's all right. Yeah. So the I'll do my best. Reverse psychology, like. What's the extent to which we see this thing like hold over different cultures? Does it like does it happen everywhere? Uh, to a degree, do you, you know. You know, I haven't done a lot of anthropological studies, so I I don't know that this necessarily happens in a lot of cultures. But I also know that not all other cultures have their language set up the same as ours, mm -hmm. and because this is entirely a a language based thing. Like I couldn't say, I bet you couldn't listen to this whole podcast episode without stopping and have that not be something that was language, right? Yeah, so it has yeah. to exist inside language. So in the extent to which other languages are set up in such a way that those type of negations don't necessarily occur, it mm -hmm. seems like it probably couldn't exist in every culture. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And it seems to be variable from some of my like talking to people and travels and those sort of things. What about like across one's lifetime? Like, does it always work for everything you do? Like, does that change? No, there's a lot of circumstances under which reverse psychology or whatever is going to be effective or not be effective. I, like, I, in some counterexamples here in a second. I remember deliberately uh, doing this a lot with my little brother, or to my little brother, with my, my little sister when I was growing up. Okay. But you can't do this. Yeah. And he would do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was like, it seemed like it was one day. It wasn't one day. Like all of a sudden, you, you know, right. was starting to like walk these things out and realize what we were doing. Yeah. And he wouldn't follow them anymore. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't think it necessarily like, it's this thing that happens all the time. Um, it's kind of dynamic. It changes across people, settings, cultures, and those sort of things to for, or at least the extent to which we uh, see it work, right? This reverse psychology approach. What is consistent? Like, what's going on here? It's still not entirely clear, like, what all the circumstances are, but we, we definitely have a good idea on at least what some of the circumstances are. And um, inside of the sort of behavioral research, I guess, they call this idea counter-control, which is that someone's trying to control your behavior and you are trying to counter their control of your behavior by mm -hmm. by just doing the opposite. And so someone who knows that, that you're likely to try and counter them can use that to their benefit by then just imposing their control in the opposite direction, mm -hmm. knowing that you're going to have that rebellion type attitude toward it. There's another way, yeah, another way to talk about counter control is like doing the opposite of or doing it in spite of someone, right? Like right. That kind of thing. But, but you're not always going to be trying to do everything in spite of someone. So there, yeah. there are a lot of circumstances under which this is likely to occur. And it's based on essentially the idea of this, uh, the, uh, it's called reactance or uh, yeah, reactance theory. Okay. And it's also been called. It has a few different names. Another name I saw was the boomerang effect. And this is again like you throw it, you send it one way and it comes another way. Yeah. Okay. The way that they talk about this, there is a few different um, rules that they sort of give, and one of them is that. For the most part, the people who is having their behavior influenced by this reverse psychology, um, they shouldn't be able to identify that you're using reverse psychology on them. So you have to be pretty subtle. And as people get more and more aware as they get older, they're more likely to catch on to the subtleties of these things. Yeah. Um, so people often talk about like you can use, sort of use this on kids, but maybe not so much on people who are a little more seasoned and, <laughs> and, uh, and developed. Yeah, we used to, when I was working in an educational setting, we used to run these things a lot. Like mm -hmm. uh, there was kids that would like to really control what was going on. And it was always a, 
point of contention for the teachers or the people that are like trying to work on teaching them. I'm like, yeah, worry about it. And the, the subtle was one way in which they usually find some, some success. Right. And the other one is that it should be more of a suggestion or a challenge than a specific example. So if you have a kid and you're trying to get them to eat their vegetables, then saying, I don't want you to eat your vegetables is less likely to be effective than the challenging, I bet you can't eat all of your vegetables yeah, sort of yeah. a <laughs> sort of a setup. And that's what how we did at the beginning of this episode. Because I think if we just started this episode with don't listen to this episode, you'd be like, cool, that's one episode off my yeah. to-do list I can cross <laughs> off. And so setting up more as a challenge or a suggestion. And then also, if you already have buy-in from the people you're with, like if you don't have this, I guess, sort of rebellion counter relationship, then this is not going to be particularly effective. So you really have to have a little bit of this threat or control issue going on. So for example, let's say you go into work and your boss is like, you don't have to come and like you don't have to come and work on time. You don't have to be here today with the intention of you're gonna stay. You're gonna come in early, stay late, and work harder. Instead, if you come in, and your boss says that to you, you're gonna be like, "Cool, peace out," and then yeah. walk out the door and go home. Yeah, um, you still get paid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, like I'm salary. I can I can take this. Yeah. Sweet. Thank you for the day off. And so. Uh, that's a situation which this is totally not going to work. Um, so you have to be pretty mindful of those circumstances. It has to be one of the situations where it's threatened. And there's a few other sort of rules I, I ran into. So basically this is rooted in this idea that the whole reactance theory is this notion that people are inherently motivated to perform protect their freedoms. So as soon as they perceive that their their freedoms are being threatened, then they react against it. And so they're they're trying to uh, reestablish that freedom. And so the three rules that I saw about this, about reactance theory and how this might work, is that first, when behavior... Uh, when the freedom uh, of some behavior or some kind of freedom is threatened or removed, then there is this increased motivation to reestablish that freedom. Okay, so All this right. is sort of when control is being imposed. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is the greater the level of threat of removal, or the greater lo- um, the amount of freedom that's been removed, the greater the reactance to that threat. So the stronger of an effect you'll get. Mm-hmm. And the last one was this can also occur. Uh, you can react to the freedoms that are being threatened in other people that you observe as well. Okay. Okay. So it doesn't just have to be your own freedom. And so we, we talked about this idea of this counter control. So yeah. let's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit more. What does that mean? So there we have person one and two. Mm-hmm. Person one is trying to influence person two. Yeah. Person two's reward is doing the opposite of what person one says to do. Right. Right. And so it's the reward is eliminating their control. Like yep. I, I know that you're trying to control me right now. I'm going to get rid of it. Yep. And I look at it as like it can span an infinite number of actions or different uh, periods of time. It doesn't really have this like shape or form. Right. So like it's not it could be different for you. It could be different for me and like the ways in which we do it. Right. Right. It can be very subtle in a meeting sort of thing, or it can be very explicit and sharp. Um, it, like it doesn't have a form, right? Yeah. But what is consistent and always consistent is this, like the opposite of what was intended. Mm-hmm. So some things that kind of come to mind for me is, uh, this like, what are, when is it acceptable? So like when you were talking about, uh, greater levels of threat and reactance theory and that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. um, it makes me think of a few different things. Like 
whether that's like uh, certain t- genres of music, like yeah. I feel like started this way, right? Punk is a very good example of this, like yeah. punk rock music. So you have the establishment of this is how you need to behave and this is the kind of like this is socially acceptable behavior and you have to follow my rules mm-hmm. about how you need to behave. And out of that, you get the reverse or reactance, which is like, I'm going to shave my mar- hair in a mohawk, <laughs> pierce my skin, get tattoos, smoke, drink, and generally be disorderly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and get okay, that. Put that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but then there's like, uh, and it, like, that's acceptable, right? To various degrees within our societies yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, but then there's things like marches, right? And Just a few weeks ago at, at the time of this recording was the March for science. Yeah. Um, usually whenever a president gets elected, whatever party they belong to, the, the ideologies of the opposite party will have some kind of protest the next day. Uh-huh. So that happened in the when the Obama administration first took over from the Bush administration. There was like the pro-life marches that happened immediately afterwards, pro-life ten, tending to be in associated with a conservative point of view and Barack Obama was in the liberal point of view. Mm-hmm. And when Donald Trump was elected, you had these the women's marches that took place in, yeah. you know, pretty soon after. And so, yeah, there was, you know... You just get that whatever the imposing system of it control, there is an increased amount of action from the opposite sort of position. Yeah. Yeah. And that can like lead to like riots, which are, you know, hidden on the other end of the spectrum where like there's less there's, socially acceptable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Police involvement, state involvement starts happening. There's even things like uh, creating something different. Like, I mean, that could be for some sort of like counter control as well right yeah um so i don't know the degree to which this actually held for you know someone like the creator of tesla and like elon musk and all those folks but like Mm -hmm. they wanted something different Mm -hmm. and they've so far worked towards something that's pretty different pretty impactful right yeah totally um so to kind of like bring this back into like this reverse psychology uh we're asking the question of like why does this work right Mm -hmm. to kind of summarize like this counter control of doing the opposite of what was intended and that kind of being your reward uh the point is is like it doesn't hold a certain shape or form and it's on various degrees of like acceptability for our society right sure where does that take us well i think it's just important to break down what what's reverse psychology what that name in and of itself sort of means because it's it's kind of a misnomer and i'd actually like to try and take it back so i was trying to figure this out where did this where did this even come from like where where did the phrase reverse psychology start and for the life of me i could not find the first mention so um we did this this I guess you could call it research where we did the, the Google books Ngram viewer and it just, it gives you a range of the first time that a phrase is mentioned in a book. And the earliest phrase that we could find was in 1845. So yeah. that's pretty long further than I thought actually. Yeah. Cause I did find some books that referenced like reactance theory and the boomerang effect that were published in like the 1960s. But according to this, this Google search we did, we actually saw that um, it started appearing in books more frequently around, 1945-ish and then starting to spike more in the 60s. Yeah. Now, it it's worth noting that the frequency of this relative to just psychology is really, really, really low. But it was at least interesting to look back and see where do we see any mention of reverse psychology at all. And but even then, I couldn't figure out who used it and why. Where did why did they select that phrase "reverse psychology"? Yeah. What does that really mean? And um, at least we're able to find is break down the two words of reverse and psychology. Now, looking at the term "reverse" as it often means sort of the opposite, 
mm-hmm. psychology, which we defined in our second episode ever as the study of the behavior of organisms in mm-hmm. general. That the opposite of the study of the behavior of organisms, what would that even be? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Creating ignorance about the behavior yeah. of organisms? Yeah. I don't know. Sounds like you can't take this literal, right? No, this you, translation. you can't. And so the way that people seem to be using this, at least sort of colloquially, is that Reverse, that particular word there refers to getting someone to do the reverse of what you're suggesting, or the opposite of what you're suggesting. Oh, counter control. (laughs) Yes. Interesting. Yes, going back to that. Um, And then in this case, psychology doesn't actually mean the study of the behavioral organisms, um, but instead seems to refer to manipulation. Okay. So to replace those words, it sort of means... Op- or reverse manipulation or opposite manipulation or even just manipulation. Um, and that's really what how it's being used because the phrase reverse psychology is not like psychology does not mean influencing someone to do something a particular way. Like we've already d- described what psychology means. Um, so that reverse psychology means rever- uh, influencing someone to do something the opposite way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's not what this really refers to. Reverse seems to be the direction in which you're suggesting and what the intended outcome is. And then psychology, I, I don't even know why that's attached to it, except maybe to make it sound kind of science-y somehow. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't know. Um, but this one really just refers to sort of the manipulation aspect of it. Okay, great. Cool. Yeah, so I agree with that. That's about the history that we could find and sort of what that name yeah. sort of breaks down to. Yeah, if you know the beginning of this, that would be awesome to know. Uh, yeah, man, was, if you if you got better references, please contact us. We'd love to find out yeah, and uh, we'll do a correction. Engram's like my last go-to. I'm yeah. like, I don't know, like, when was this actually mentioned? Um, and I know it doesn't catch everything, so yeah. please, if you know, let us know. That was, yeah, so that was just, it was a lack of being able to find sources on this, yeah. so. So what are some pop references? Like, where's, where, like what are things that probably everyone knows about? Like, yeah. Pop psychology, or sorry, when reverse psychology was like used in like a very definitive way man this actually shows up so much over pop culture it's in tons of movies and tv shows but immediately for me and i'm kind of dating myself here um, one of the first things that showed up was in the movie who framed roger rabbit and i don't think that we can actually play this clip for like copyright purposes so instead you're in for a special treat because we're going to act out the scene in the movie and just to set the context um you're character Roger Rabbit they're trying to get him to take a drink of alcohol and so we're coming in on this um, the scene you're gonna play uh, the the main the, one of the main characters protagonist Eddie and mm-hmm. I'm gonna go ahead and play uh, Roger and how uh, Eddie is trying to get Roger to take a drink of this because when he does then Roger's gonna turn into like a bomb basically just explodes and goes crazy Okay. All right, ready? Drink the drink. But I don't want the drink. He doesn't want the drink. He does. I don't. You do. I don't. You do. I don't. You do. I don't. You don't. I do. You don't. I do. You don't. Listen, when I say I do, that means I do. (laughs) Do we do that a good enough justice? I think so. Okay. I guess we're voice actors now. So that was essentially the scene from this movie. And you can see immediately he just switches it. And it's like he's saying every time – Eddie notices every time I say I do, he just says I don't. So he's like, I'll just switch it. I say yep. I don't. Um, and so I just – I love that 
scene from that movie. I think it's hilarious. What's a little more modern one? All right. So uh, another one that I like that was a little more recent from the, sh- the TV show, um, the U.S. version of The Office. Um, and in this one, they're doing the like white elephant Christmas exchange. The main character or the, the boss, Michael Scott, has bought like an iPod or something for the, the group. And he gets, as is um, in the white elephant, he gets uh, a hand knitted oven mitt. And he's so mad that he didn't get something as cool as his iPod um, that he's he wants to to trade it in for something better. So here's Michael Scott, and he says, "I hope nobody takes this baby because this is great. Wow, look at that fine craftsmanship. Someone really put a lot of work into that. It's beautiful." And then one of the other people in the office is, <laughs> says, "I'll take the oven mitt," yeah. and he's a sucker. See, I wanted someone to take it. Boom, reverse psychology. And then it, it does one of those cutaway clips where he's interviewing him in the office. And he's sitting there like he's all smart, like he's discovered some magical yeah. trick that nobody knows about. And he says, uh, reverse psychology is an awesome tool. I don't know if you guys know about it. But basically, you make someone think the opposite of what you believe. And that tricks them into doing something stupid. It works like a charm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's so funny. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, just another example <laughs> of uh, what he was doing in that situation was he was trying to talk up the oven mitt as if it's like, man, someone better not take this thing um, because I, you know, uh, I really don't want someone to take it, and therefore try and get someone to actually take it from him. So nice. All right. Cool. So overall take home points. I think we're there. Yeah, I think we are. Where do we start? Well, I guess at least we don't always know that um, it's happening when we use it. We don't know necessarily when we're using it all the time or when it's being used on us. Um, so that's one of the main take-home points. Yeah, I think it also it works sometimes but not always. Uh, so it's dependent on the context, right? So right. things we kind of talked about, like the history, like has it worked with you in the past? Like, uh, like is it a thing that you're really interested in into? You know, like there's, totally. there's a lot of like personal things that come into effect. Um that we have to take into account. Yeah. And it's also worth noting, and I think another important take-home point in here is most people are upset um, that their freedom has not only been threatened, but legitimately compromised by having been manipulated. And so even if you're trying to like use this reverse psychology and if it works, you're probably going to have a worse outcome for it if they realize that they were tricked into doing something. Because now they're like, you already tricked them into doing something and now they realize that you tricked them into doing something and you're going to get an even worse version of that counter control. Yeah. So it's probably not your best tool to try and get people to do something you want. <laughs> Just to follow up on that, um, it can it can be dangerous even if you get the outcome that you were hoping for. So, yeah, like if you get the literal outcome that you were kind of joking around with, right? Right. Like that can be dangerous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it can be. Um, because, yeah, if you say something, going back to the example of the boss who's like, this person's always coming in late. Oh, I know. I'm going to try and trick him with, with reverse psychology. And they're like, uh, say something like, oh, yeah, you just you know, don't, you don't just come in whenever you want. And so then they're like, cool. And then they start coming in at noon, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you might actually get someone doing the thing that you suggested. Or maybe like with your brother. Yeah. I don't know if this is your circumstance, but I could see something happening where – you say like, oh, I bet you can't uh, do that over there. And he's like, yeah, bet I can't too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, like, yeah, that was a legit thing that started happening. Yeah. And so it all dissolved. I was like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Your um, counter control got counter controlled. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, if we had to summarize a little, it's like it's not magic, right? Yeah. It's not all that powerful. Yeah. Um, and it's not particularly useful. Yeah. In certain circumstances, maybe. But in general, there's there really are better strategies to try and influence someone. Yeah. And 
taking the more honest and open approach um, tends to work pretty well for some yeah. people. And if not, then building in a legitimate like, okay, you really don't want to do this thing. I really need it to happen anyway. What can we do to make this happen? So everyone's on the same page. Everyone's on the up and up. It's it's just – it's a lot more respectful um, and it's also um, – it's it's more likely to foster a better relationship yeah. rather than sort of sneakily going behind each other's backs and tricking each other into doing things. Yeah, we talk about these things called like a topical versus a systemic intervention. Yeah, sometimes. it's very topical. Like the idea is like you're kind of creating this band aid is mm-hmm. what I'm, what I mean when I say that rather than getting at the root cause, mm-hmm. something more systemic. Right. Cool. Awesome. I think that's where we end up with this episode. Yeah, I think that's all we have for today. So um, as always, thanks for listening. Thank thank you to those that have reached out to us. Um, Please feel free to contact us on our various social media, email, all those accounts and whatnot. We're always watching. We're always listening. And we'd love to include them in the listener segments as well. And special thanks going out to Miranda Drake for her contributions on, um, on production on this episode. I think that's it. Cool. Abraham and Ryan O. Out. Thanks. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWDWWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to WWDWWDPodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at NogDesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.